Welcome back to the Book of Mormon with Grandma. We're in chapter 13 today. Nephi has seen the destruction of his people, and now he sees further into the future. I'm sure it was exhausting just watching what was happening to his own people. But what he is seeing here today is something that is being formed in the Americas. Let's go to verse 4 and see what it says. And it came to pass that I saw among the nations of the Gentiles the formation of a great church. And the angel said unto me, Behold the formation of a church which is most abominable above all other churches, which slayeth the saints of God, yea, and tortureth them, and bindeth them down, and yoketh them with a yoke of iron, and bringeth them down into captivity. And it came to pass that I beheld this great and abominable church, and I saw the devil that he was the founder of it. So Robert Parsons, he was, he's a professor of, professor of ancient scripture. He said this, when Adam was placed on the earth, the kingdom or church of God was also established. He now quotes Joseph Smith when he says this, in relation to the kingdom of God, the devil always sets up his kingdom at the very same time in opposition to God. And since the kingdom of God or true church has been on earth from age to age, so also has the kingdom of the devil or the church of the devil. So that was Robert Parsons quoting Joseph Smith. Satan has always had counterfeits to everything the Lord does. The Book of Mormon does a great job in helping us see them and avoid them. And as we get to the war chapters, you'll see how uh, it helps you learn how to fight Satan and his armies. So as we talk about the great and abominable church, let's talk about what those words mean. The word great in this instance means a large quantity or size but not something good. So big and large. The word abominable means something that God hates. The word church means a congregation of people or an assembly of people who are loyal to something. Not always necessarily something religious, but in this case it is. So if you put all of those definitions together, you'll see that it says this great and abominable church is a large assembly of people who are all loyal to something God hates. Does that make sense? I realize that many people today feel this is a specific church that we have. However, Bruce McConkie says it's not one specific church. This is what he said. The titles Church of the Devil and Great and Abominable Church are used to identify all churches or organizations or whatever name or nature, whether political, philosophical, educational, economic, social, fraternal, civic, or religious, which are designed to take men on a course that leads away from God and his laws and thus from salvation in the kingdom of God. That was Elder McConkie in his book, Mormon Doctrine. So not one specific church, and we have to be careful because we might label one church today, the great and abominable church. But Stephen Robinson says that um, when we do label one church, the great and abominable church, that means that people will then treat them as such, and that becomes dangerous. He also says if we avoid calling one particular group of people or religion, the great and abominable church, then we become so focused on them that we fail to see wickedness in other places. He goes on to say, just as there are some Latter-day Saints who might belong to the great and abominable church because of their loyalty to Satan and his lifestyle, so there are members of other churches who belong to the Church of the Lamb because of their loyalty to him and his lifestyle. Membership is based more on who has your heart than on who has your records. Now, I'm going to repeat that because that's my favorite quote from him. Membership is based more on who has your heart than on who has your records. 
So let's go look at some of the characteristics of what the great and abominable church is like. You'll see that many of the same characteristics that show the great and abominable church are also talked about in the book of Revelation in the New Testament, as John describes the last days and the wickedness of the world. When John talks about Babylon in the book of Revelation, it's also not just one city. It's wickedness wherever wickedness is, just as Zion is wherever the pure in heart are. So that's not just in Salt Lake City. It's anywhere in the world where those who are following the Savior and are pure in heart. So likewise, Babylon, or the great and abominable church, is wherever wickedness is, anyone who fights against Zion. So here are the characteristics, and see if they sound familiar. They'll sound similar to Babylon. Okay, this, let's go back to seven, and then we're going to go back to five and pick up some of those. And I also saw gold and silver and silks and scarlets and fine twine linen and all manner of precious clothing, and I saw many harlots. And the angel spake unto me, saying, Behold the gold and the silver and the silks and the scarlets and the fine twine linen and the precious clothing and the harlots are the desires of this great and abominable church. And also for the praise of the world do they destroy the saints of God and bring them down into captivity. So some of those characteristics you heard about the great abominable church are, are found in five. It says, and also in nine, it persecutes the saints of God and takes them down into captivity. In Revelation, Babylon also persecutes the saints. In verses seven and eight, it seeks after the things of the world, wealth and luxury and ease, rather than the things of God. Those things of the world are the most important things to them. Revelation also describes Babylon the same way enjoying great wealth and luxury. We've seen over the years how money and the love of money can do terrible things to people and cause them to do terrible things to others. I saw on the news about a woman in a small town in Ohio who was the county recorder. I think that was her uh, job. And gradually she took over $2 million from the people of the town. They were left with no way to repair their roads or their parks. And the woman who had uh, taken the money, purchased property and horses and cars and fine clothes and furs and jewelry. Sounds like that above, right? And when she was caught, she wasn't even sorry she did what she did. She tried to find a way to get out of it. The other thing is in verse 8, you can tell also by the immorality that is a characteristic of the great and abominable church. So what are some things you see happening today that you can compare to the characteristics of the great and abominable church? It might be something you might want to stop here and talk about and think about. So if you had to take a symbol from Lehi's vision of the tree of life and assign one of those symbols to the great and abominable church, which would you choose? For me, I think I would choose a large and spacious building where everyone sits and mocks and persecutes the saints who are trying to hold to the rod. Okay, let's go on to verse 12. Although this seems like a change of subject, and you might be saying, what does this have to do with the great and abominable church? If you'll just bear with me as we sort it out, you'll see. So first in verse 12, see if you can guess who this man is that Nephi saw. And this particular part of the vision is given to us by Latter-day Prophets. So this is where we get it. Okay, verse 12. And I looked and beheld a man among the Gentiles who was separated from the seed of my brethren by the many waters. And I beheld the Spirit of God that it came down and wrought upon the man. And he went forth upon the many waters, even unto the seed of my brethren who were in the promised land. So if I tell you that the many waters are the Atlantic Ocean, then who would be this man who came to America, who was inspired to come to America? Think about it. I'll wait. 
If you said Christopher Columbus, you're right. He came from the, among the Gentiles or the people in Europe, and he was separated from the seed of Nephi's brethren in America by many waters. And he came down, the spirit came down and inspired him to go forth or to sail upon the waters, even unto the seed of his brethren who were in the promised land. So in the next verse, it talks about others who came forth uh, to America. Listen to this. Uh, this is verse 13. And it came to pass that I beheld the spirit of God that it wrought upon other Gentiles and they went forth out of captivity upon the many waters. So guess who this might be? Well, we're told these would be the pilgrims, the Puritans, the American colonists who came here from Europe seeking freedom to be able to worship the way they wanted to. This group also caught, brought George Washington, among many others who came to the promised land. They provided the way for the Book of Mormon to be brought forth and the gospel to be restored. And this is why. Let's go on to verse 17. And I beheld that their mother Gentiles were gathered together upon the waters and upon the land also to battle against them. So if I tell you that the mother Gentiles is Great Britain, then tell me if you can see what comes next in verse 18. And I beheld that the power of God was with them, and also that the wrath of God was upon those that were gathered together against them to battle. And I, Nephi, beheld that the Gentiles that had gone out of captivity were delivered by the power of God out of the hands of all other nations. So what would be this battle if the mother Gentiles is Great Britain? What is this battle? Think about it. I'll wait. It's the Revolutionary War. The colonists were delivered by the power of God, which meant independence for America. Okay, back to 20. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, beheld that they did prosper in the land, and I beheld a book, and was carried forth among them. And the angel said unto me, Knowest thou the meaning of the book? And I said unto him, I know not. And he said, Behold, it proceedeth out of the mouth of a Jew. So let's stop here and ask, what did the colonists bring them? What is the book that proceedeth from the mouth of a Jew? That would be the Bible. They brought it with them. So Nephi sees that the book was a record like the plates of brass that they got from Laban. And he says there weren't so many of the plates that they contained. There were not so many of the same plates and they, but they did contain the covenants of the Lord. The angel tells him that when the book first was written, it contained the fullness of the gospel, just the way the 12 apostles wrote it. Okay. Let's go back to 26. Now here's where we see one of the characteristics of the great and abominable church and abominable church and what it did to the book. This is where it comes back in the great and abominable church. And after they go forth by the hand of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, from the Jews unto the Gentiles, thou seest the formation of that great and abominable church, which is most abominable above all other churches. For behold, they have taken away from the gospel of the Lamb many parts which are plain and most precious, and also many covenants of the Lord have they taken away. And all this have they done, that they might pervert the right ways of the Lord, that they might blind the eyes and harden the hearts of the children of men." Wherefore thou seest that after the book hath gone forth through the hands of the great and abominable church, that there are many plain and precious things taken away from the book, which is the book of the Lamb of God. And after these plain and precious things were taken away, it goeth forth unto the all the nations of the Gentiles, and after it goeth forth unto all the nations of the Gentiles, yea, even across the many waters which thou hast seen with the Gentiles, which have gone forth out of captivity, thou seest because of the main 
many plain and precious things which have been taken out of the book, which were plain unto the understanding of the children of men, according to the plainness which is in the Lamb of God, because of these things which are taken away out of the gospel of the Lamb, an exceeding great many do stumble, yea, insomuch that Satan hath great power over them. So why did they take away the plain and precious parts? Well, verse 27 tells you, so they can pervert the right ways of the Lord and blind the eyes and harden the hearts so people would stumble and Satan would have great power over them. But the Lord knew that the great and abominable church would try to remove some of those plain and precious things in the Bible and cause people to stumble. So he provided a way for the gospel to be preserved. So now we come to the most important part of why Nephi was shown all of this about the book and the great and abominable church and what they have done to the book. Because it was important that Nephi and his descendants would should keep a record of what happened to them and write a book that will contain the plainness of the gospel and take the Gentiles out of darkness. And the angel tells Nephi what the Savior has said about it. This is in verse 35. For behold, saith the Lamb, I will manifest myself unto thy seed, that they shall write many things which I shall minister unto them, which shall be plain and precious, and after thy seed shall be destroyed, and dwindle in unbelief, and also the seed of thy brethren. Behold, these things shall be hid up to come forth unto the Gentiles by the gift and power of the Lamb, and in them shall be written my gospel, saith the Lamb, and my rock and my salvation." The Book of Mormon is what will be written, and what it contains will be the plain and precious things. And when everyone is gone, it'll be hid up by Moroni in the hill Cumorah to come forth at a time when the Lord says so. These records will stay hidden for some 1,400 years until the time when they could be published. Just so happens they come forth when the printing press has been invented. Perfect timing. Okay, back to 39. And after it had come forth unto them, I beheld other books, which came forth by the power of the Lamb from the Gentiles unto them, unto the convincing of the Gentiles and the remnant of the seed of my brethren, and also the Jews who were scattered upon all the face of the earth, and that the records of the prophets and of the twelve apostles of the Lamb are true. This verse helps state the purpose of the Book of Mormon that we find on the title page. But what about the other books he talks about? So would some of those other books that he saw be the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and others that have come forward in the latter days? Yes. And now he tells Nephi why. Back to 40. And the angel spake unto me, saying, These last records which thou hast seen among the Gentiles shall establish the truth of the first, which are of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, and shall make known the plain and precious things which have been taken away from them, and shall make known to all kindreds, tongues, and people that the Lamb of God is the Son of the Eternal Father and the Father and the Savior of the world, and that all men must come unto him or they cannot be saved. So they would have a similar purpose of the Book of Mormon to help convince or prove to the world that the scriptures are true. Robert Millet said this, These other books provide an independent source of truth. All of these records together, and each of them separately, bear witness that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, and that salvation comes through him and his holy name and in no other way. That was Robert Millet. But Nephi's vision is not over yet. We will continue on on the next podcast. So, until next time.